News, politics, entertainment, and more. Welcome to the Informant. Independent talk, pursuing truth, informing everyone. Now, here is the Informant, Eric Thompson. Hey, welcome to The Informant. Thank you so much for joining me. My name is Eric Thompson out here in California. Hopefully you're having a great day and you had a good weekend. It rained, we had a lot of rain, but it's, we need it out here, so that's okay. So hey, if you ever want to get a hold of me, you can always go over to the therangebroadcasting.com. You can go and download their app at on the iTunes store or on the Google Play store, or you can go to my website, www.the-informant.com, see my social media links, etc. So thank you for watching. Today, if um, I'm going to cover a wide range of topics, topics, if you don't really know what we do here as the informant, is I try to dig a little bit deeper. I try to go from everything from politics to social issues to technology, entertainment, and today is not going to be any different. We'll start with, unfortunately, the news about what's going on in uh, Alabama and North Georgia, and uh, with the over 23 people have died because of tornadoes. So I'm going to cover that briefly. We want to make sure we keep them in prayer. Then we're going to go over to President Trump's CPAC speech. How did the left kind of react to it? No surprises. And then we're going to um, talk about what happened to the left. Where did this socialism, this democratic socialism come from? It's actually been around simmering a lot longer than in with the power brokers in New York around the country. And then we'll end up with their their working on putting in chips in your brain, not to help your brain, in your brain, to help you be super smart, which means Google would literally be in your head. And that is a not a good place for us to be in. So let's start off here with some really bad news. This is from the Fake News Network normally, but this is a good article from CNN. Good summary. At least 23 dead after tornadoes touched down in Alabama and Georgia. A devastating series of tornadoes ripped through Alabama on Sunday, killing at least 23 people. 23 people. The victims included children, and they died in Lee County, said Sheriff um, Joe, uh, Jay Jones. Uh, he initially reported 14. Uh, it was up to 14 later that day, but he said the numbers would go up, and unfortunately they did. Now, listen to this. Listen how the sheriff described this. Okay, if, if I don't know where you guys live. I don't know, like out here, um, we actually have the most tornadoes, but they're just little wind things that go through open fields. They're not actually like these type of tornadoes. I've only seen one tornado. Actually, I've seen, well, one in the Texas. We were in, in round tornadoes, but I didn't see one. So they're very, very, very intimidating. And when they come through, if they're big enough, doesn't really matter what you do. If you're in the way, you are in trouble. So this is how the sheriff described this. He said he described the massive damage that appeared, quote, as if someone had taken a blade and just scraped the ground. He estimated a path of destruction of half a mile wide that stretched several miles to the east from where the tornado 
touchdown. It appears that two tornadoes hit Lee County back-to-back within the span of an hour. At least a dozen tornadoes touched down in Alabama and Georgia on Sunday afternoon, according to the National Weather Service. The 23 deaths reported on Sunday marked would be the deadliest day for tornadoes in the state since the deadly um, Tuscaloosa-Birmingham tornado that killed more than 200 people. Several other, <coughs> other people were transferred to the hospitals. 200, wow. So keep them in prayer. Just keep in mind if you live in that tornado alley going from like Oklahoma, North Texas, going through Alabama, Georgia, in those areas, when there's storms, be careful. Now, a friends, uh, a couple that are friends of ours just moved there to Alabama, <clears throat> bought a house. And um, the wife was on Facebook saying, hey, we just got moved here. We're okay. But we were driving to a Costco and the rain was coming down in sheets. We could barely see anything. By the time we got home, our son-in-law, who's a medic, said, get in the house, get under cover. And they ran the house and left the groceries. So it's, it's, a, it's a big deal. When, when one person dies, it's a terrible situation. Several families have been affected. So keep them in prayer. Now, let's go over something a little more positive. President Trump kicked off, uh, well, he went to his CPAC, uh, went to CPAC this year, and here is, I'm going to cover the the beginning of his speech. Now, this is a conservative, um, it's the, it's their action committee. So it's their, their conservative PAC action committee. So basically, you bring in kind of the movers and shakers in the Republican Party and the conservatives, libertarians, and they come in, and then they have Candace Owens and Charlie Kirk and all kinds of people come in, uh, Vice President Pence, talking about the state of the conservative movement. So President Trump shows up. Now, normally, when a president shows up for CPAC, like when Bush did, he'll have like 20 to 30 minutes at the most of of a pre-canned speech that he's supposed to look at the teleprompters and read it. President Trump, even as he admits it himself during the speech, just keeps going off script. So this 20, 30-minute speech ends up being over two hours, the longest speech of his, his, of his presidency. And I'll tell you why in a little bit, but if, if you're a conservative, I'm a conservative independent. I do not have a party. But I thought the speech was outstanding from his his communicative his ability to communicate to the audience with humor and everything else covering everything that these people would want to hear and it wasn't boring the left now they're saying that there are parts of it that were flat out racist now so no surprise there well let's kick off here's the beginning of the speech from cpac for with president trump Thank you very much, and thank you very much also to a man named Matchlap. What a job he's done. And to CPAC, I actually started quite a while ago in CPAC and came here, probably made my first real political speech, and I enjoyed it so much. 
Then I came back for a second one, then a third. Then I said, what the hell? Let's run for president, right? <laughs> but it's wonderful to be back with so many great patriots, old friends, and brave, young conservatives. What a future you have. Our movement and our future in our country is unlimited. What we've done together has never been done in the history, maybe of beyond our country, maybe in the history of the world. They came from the mountains and the valleys and the cities. They came from all over. And what we did in 2016, the election, we call it, with a capital E, it's never been done before, and we're going to do it, I think, again in 2020, and the numbers are going to be even bigger. And we all had to endure as I was running. So you had 17 Republicans, plus me. And I was probably more of a conservative than a Republican. People just didn't quite understand that. They didn't understand it. I think now, with what we've done with the judiciary and so many other things, I think they get it very well. And it's driving the other side crazy. But we all had to endure, remember? How many times did you hear for months and months, there is no way to 270? You know what that means, right? There is no way to 270. They couldn't get me there. We might as well have just given up. But there wasn't any way to 270. In fact, I actually went up to Maine to get one, and I did win the one, but we didn't need the one. We won Maine. We won our half of Maine, remember? You have Nebraska. We won both in Nebraska. We won the half we had to win in Maine. So we got the one, but we didn't need the one because we didn't get 270. We got 306 to 223. 223, 306. A state called Wisconsin, a state called Michigan, where, by the way, where Fiat Chrysler just announced a $4.5 billion incredible expansion and new plant doubling their workforce. Many, many car companies have moved back to Michigan and are continuing to do so. Big numbers. Nobody ever thought they'd see that happen. So I think we're going to do even better in 2020. I think we're going to do numbers that people haven't seen for a long time. The men and women here today are on the front lines of protecting America's interest, defending America's value, and reclaiming our nation's priceless heritage. It's true. With your help, we are reversing decades of blunders and betrayals. These are serious, serious betrayals to our nation and to everything we stand for. 
It's been done by the failed ruling class that enriched foreign countries at our expense. It wasn't America first. In many cases, it was America last. Those days are over, long over. These, those days are long over. So that's kind of how President Trump kicked off his speech at CPAC. Um, we might cover a little bit more of it later as we go along. Now, let's see. How do you think the left reacted to it? Well, after we get back from the station at identification, I will tell you. You're listening to the informant here on the range. Please make sure you go over to the uh, Google Play Store, I, Apple iTunes, download the app, or, or go to rangebroadcasting.com. If you're on social media, please comment, share the show, and let's go ahead and increase the reach of the informant because I want to make sure that we're all in this to win it. All right, so President Trump, CPAC, speech, and like I said, he, it was supposed to go maybe 20, 30 minutes. It goes a couple hours. <clears throat> let's see how over Reason Magazine, not... Not your most conservative, not your heritage foundation by any means. Uh, let's see what they said. Here's an article, and this is from the Hit and Run blog over at Reason. And let me show you the screen here. Okay. It says Trump might have just won the 2020 election today. What? <laughs> huh? What, what, what do you say? The president's speech at CPAC was a bedazzling, wow, mix of bravado, BS, humor, and positive vision. No Democrat will be able to top. This is from a guy named Nick Gillespie. It's way too early to be thinking this, but and much less saying it, but what the hell? If Donald Trump is able to deliver the sort of performance he gave today at CPAC, the Conservative Political Action Conference, CPAC, the annual meeting of right-wingers held near Washington, D.C. His re-election is a foregone conclusion. Now, if you are a non-supporter of President Trump, of course, you have to say, I don't care if that's Reason Magazine or not. That's ridiculous. We're still 18 months out or more. And we've got Bernie Sanders and, and everybody else running and, and Joe Biden might come out. So <clears throat> this is ridiculous. So I'm not, I'm not even going to listen to you. Blah, 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 blah. Well, how, how, how could this guy make? I mean, that's a pretty, those are pretty strong statements, aren't they? Well, let's continue to find out how, Mr. Gillespie, how would you come up with this conclusion after one speech that you think President Trump could have just sealed the deal already in 20. Because everything the Democrats are going to do from now on is all about 2020, including them reopening the Russia collusion investigation, but on the, on the House side this time. Let's see what it says. It says, uh, there's simply no potential candidate in the Democratic Party who wouldn't be absolutely blown off the stage by him, by President Trump. I say this as someone who's neither a Trump fanboy nor a never-Trumper, but he he was not simply good. He was Prince at the Super Bowl great. 
deftly flinging juvenile taunts at everyone who's ever crossed him, tossing red meat to the Republican faithful, and going Soto voice, serious to talk about justice being done for working-class Americans who have been screwed over by global corporations. In a heavily improvised speech, because like I said, he went off script over and over and over again that lasted over two hours the 72-year-old 70, former reality TV star hit every greatest hit in his repertoire. He covered Crooked Hillary, Build the Wall, America is Winning Again, and more all made appearances while riffing on everything from the Green New Deal to his own advanced age and weird hair to the wisdom of soldiers over generals. At times, it was like listening to Robin Williams' genie in the Disney movie Aladdin. Howard Stern in his peak years as a radio shock jock or Don Rickles in his insult comic as an insult comic. When he started making us making a size, Trump observed, this is how I got elected by going off script. Two years into his presidency, he may just be getting warmed up. And this is this is a good summary where if you if you watch it now, if you if you're not on the left where you just. Take it, you're hearing sound bites on the fake news networks, and it was racist. It was all nationalism. It was always about restoring the country back to being white and blah, blah, blah. If you're on the other side, like I'm an independent, you're listening. He's covering, you know, uh, why I did what I did, making fun of people. Now, this is the Trump way of doing it. Some people don't like it. Slamming people, making fun of people, uh, having fun at people's expense, but then making fun of himself, a little bit of self-deprecating humor. Then getting back on, this is America. You guys are great. We have a great future, and this is great. On low unemployment numbers for Mexican-Americans, black Americans. Just, just talk. what it was like, it's like if you, it's like if you were just, talking to him in a room and he just kept talking you know and this is how i this is how what happened and blah 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 and then but yeah you know bernie blah blah and 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 it was just like a regular conversation my wife says this a lot to me this is why she think he's so successful because he talks like in normal language for most people and he gives a lot of information that tells you what's going on. And this is what people appreciate because normally you don't know what's going on. You just have to try to interpret what's going on via the news. President Trump will tell you via tweets and speeches like this, what's going on and from his eyes, what's going on. Now, obviously some people disagree with what he says is going on. But this is what he wants people to know. All right, so what other things did President Trump do that makes this guy think that President Trump, you know, just in a conversational way, might have already sealed up 2020? First and foremost, Trump was frequently funny and outer in the casual, mean way uh, with that New Yorkers exude, exude like nobody else in America. 
So basically, Trump was basically like a New Yorker, exuding out of him, you know, oh, man, these people. And, and uh, he, he said, quote, you put the wrong person in a couple of positions, he said about some of the people in his cabinet and other positions, lamenting the end, lamenting the appointment of Robert Mueller, a special prosecutor, quote, all of a sudden you're trying to take, they're trying to take you out with BS, but he said the actual word BS. He voiced Jeff Sessions in a, in a, and he mocked in a, his southern accent, accusing myself, and asked the adorning crowd why the former attorney general hadn't told him he was going to do that before he was appointed. Democrats backing the Green New Deal G, D, GND are talking about trains to Hawaii, he said. They haven't figured out how to get to Europe yet. Ha, 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 crowd laughing. Now, this was interesting. Okay, so he, he's, he's ripping on the Green New Deal. He's ripping on Cortez. He's ripping on all of them. But here's what's... He, he did kind of a... And this is how it was conversational. Yeah, this Green New Deal, you know, they, they, they don't even realize... You know, they, they think there's a train to Hawaii. What? Or Europe. How are they going to get to Europe without trains? But then he goes, well, I don't want to... Actually, I don't want them to know that we're going to expose it. So I am, and he did a, I am for the discussion of the Green New Deal. I think there's some good things in the Green New Deal. <laughs> it was just having, you know what? Let's just go along with it. Let's let him continue to push it. Let's let it be a main narrative in the Democratic platform. And then I'll run against it. I'll run on the other side. So to finish up this article, again, if you're just uh, joining us, this is from Reason Magazine. This is the commentary from a guy named Mr. Gillespie over at Reason Magazine. And this is a blog, actually, a blog at Reason.com. He rallied against never Trump Republicans. They're on mouth-to-mouth resuscitation, he said, adding they're basically dishonest people that no one cares about. He joked about being in the White House all alone on New Year's because the government shut down. Quote, I was in the White House and I was lonely, so I went to Iraq, unquote. He did. It was actually pretty funny. You can cover a huge amount of ter- material in two hours plus, and Trump certainly did that. Spoke uh, sympathetically of immigrants who want to come to the United States. Uh, and that we need more people in our economy because factories are bringing are coming back. So factories are coming back to America, which means we need more workers, which means America does need legal immigrants to come up here to help work the jobs. So he got rid of the, we, he hates immigrants. He got, he got rid of, you know, that uh, the country is, is divided, that um, only certain races or genders can do well. So he covered it all. So that's, how CPAC went, I might play a little bit of it later, but to say the least, if you do have a chance to watch a couple hours of it, you're going to be entertained. It actually was pretty surprising. Now, while this was going on, though, um, what do you guys think of Rand Paul? You fans of Rand Paul? Well, while uh, this was going on, you had a couple things. You had Bernie Sanders was doing a rally for socialism at the same time. But Rand Paul announced at a uh, dinner in Kentucky that he's going to vote against President Trump's national emergency declaration. We'll say what? Yep. 
Article here from The Hill. Rand Paul to vote against Trump's national emergency declaration. Senator Rand Paul, Kentucky, a Republican Kentucky, said he will oppose President Trump's national emergency declaration to fund a wall along the southern border as the Senate prepares to vote on a resolution to block it. Paul speaking at the Southern Kentucky Lincoln dinner uh, day dinner late Saturday said he could not vote to give extra constitutional powers to the president. Quote, I cannot vote to give the president's power to spend money that has not been appropriated by Congress, unquote. Um, quote, he may want more money for the border security, but Congress did not authorize it. If we take away the checks and balances, it's a dangerous thing, he said, according to the Bowling Green Daily News. Paul Stantz makes him the crucial fourth Republican senator to support the resolution, marking a setback for the administration that could force Trump to use his first veto of his presidency. Oh, well, let me get back from the break. I'm explaining a little bit why I think he did it and do I agree or disagree. So thank you for watching the informants. I'll be right back. She said, Dad, there's a man in black tactical gear shooting up the Baptist church. Every one of those shots to me represented one of my neighbors, one of my friends. And I ran as fast as I could. Immediately, he came out of the church shooting at me. He hit the truck in front of me, hit the car behind me, hit the house behind me, and I hit him. He had an AR-15, but so did I. And it's not the gun, it's the heart. It's a, it's a matter of the heart. I'm, I'm not the bravest man in the world or anything, but I was here. I was here, and I could do something. And I had to do something. Thank you for staying with me.
Okay, let's continue here. If you're just joining me, uh, this is The Informant. My name is Eric Thompson, and we're diving into what what happened over the weekend, um, everything from, unfortunately, the tornadoes up in Alabama, over in Alabama, to President Trump's CPAC speech. And right now we're talking about Rand Paul, libertarian, quote-unquote, you know, slash Republican out of Kentucky, who was who came out and said that he is going to vote against President Trump. Is he going to vote to say, you know what, um... As a libertarian, I do not think that the president, the executive branch, should have the ability to go and supervent the Constitution and take money that was not appropriated by the House and agreed on by the Senate and signed in by the president, that the money could not be moved around at the discretion of the executive branch. So let's go back to this article from The Hill. Now, I understand why Rand Paul did this, except we do have an emergency on our southern border. If we did not, then I would agree. The president should not be able to reallocate money that was appropriated by the House. But when a president has a constitutional right to declare an emergency, when he sees something or a series of things that leads him to believe that Americans are in peril or going to be negatively affected, so this article continues. It said that uh, Rand Paul elaborated in a Fox News op-ed uh, published on Sunday evening that he would vote for the resolution of disapproval. It's already passed the House when it gets to vote in the Senate. Quote, every single Republican I know decried President Obama's use of executive powers to legislate. We were right then. But the only way to be an honest office holder is to stand up for the same principles no matter who's in power, he added. Paul added that Trump's decision to declare a national emergency to get funding beyond the $1.375 billion approved in a recent government funding bill is clearly in opposition to the will of Congress. Unquote. He added that if Trump was unsatisfied with the amount provided by lawmakers, quote, his only constitutional recourse, unquote, would, be, would have been to veto the bill. I think the president's own picks on the Supreme Court may rebuke him for this. <clears throat> Regardless, I must vote how my principles dictate. Now, I don't, I don't agree with that. I don't think having on them are necessarily going to say that the president cannot declare <clears throat> an emergency. So, Rand Paul's basically, he does these, this is why Rand Paul never was seriously a candidate for president. Because, I understand his libertarian views. Now, when we have hundreds of thousands of people running across our border, when you have 4,000 people getting killed a year by illegal aliens, when you have MS-13 gang members that are up in New York and the police department and the sheriff's departments are saying, hey, MS-13, from what we're hearing, <clears throat> is working on killing you around your house. So when you have drugs coming across and everything else, then I would say that we have a national emergency. National emergencies have been used dozens and dozens of times. So I think Rand Paul's wrong. And that's why I tweeted to him. What's your solution then, Rand Paul? If you don't want the president to do this, to stop the invasion, stop the murders, <coughs> stop the drugs, what's your solution? We can't just say, Oh, well, 
the Democratic House won't let him protect the country. So that's just the way it works in the Constitution. No. If the president's job is to protect the country and he sees we're getting invaded, he needs to be able to declare an emergency, which he did. President Trump is going to veto this. So it's going to be his first veto, which is interesting. His first veto will be to, to say the resolution of disapproval, blocking him from using his emergency declaration. He is not going to go along with it. <clears throat> they know that already. Ram Paul. Ugh. Shame, shame, shame on you, Ram Paul. All right. Well, that's what's going on with that. Now, the Democrats are having to now decide how do we how do we get along now without Mueller's investigation going on? What do we do now? Because that's been that's been the uh battle cry, right? Trump it's obstruction justice. He got rid of Comey. We know that Trump colluded with Russia. The dossier, we know it's fake, but don't look at it, and on and on and on, right? So they've always had Mueller for the almost two years to fall back on to try to keep President Trump in a negative light on the left. Well, this article here we're going to look at, this is from Bloomberg, and it says, Mueller's final report will ignite an epic war over disclosure. Why over disclosure? Well, let's take a look why. And I'll summarize it. The Democrats need as much out of the report as they can so they can twist it. Because it's all about 2020 at this point. Period. The, 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 the majority, the, the Democratic leadership has already decided not to go after impeachment because there's nothing there. So the Democrats in the House have said, we want all of the report, Mueller report released, all of it. And that's not how it works. So the article says here from Bloomberg, uh, let's see, Mueller's final report will ignite an epic war. This is from Chris Strom and Larry Liebert. When special counsel Robert Mueller closes up shop and submits his long-awaited final report, possibly within days, it will only be the start of an explosive chain of events. There will be a struggle in Congress on cable television and on social media and probably in the courts on how much must be disclosed from what will begin as a secret report to Attorney General William Barr. Do you get that? Mueller was hired to put together a report. It's a secret report. It has classified information in it. It goes from the special counsel by dictate of the rules in the special counsel instructions that the his findings through Robert Mueller must be given to the attorney general, then he can decide if any part or all of what Mueller comes up with will be revealed to Congress and or the public. That's how it works. This isn't new. This isn't anybody trying to protect anybody. This is how it works. The attorney general has a lot of sway on this, a lot of, a lot of power. So <clears throat> there will also, so it says here, there will also be an epic fight over whether the findings implicate Donald Trump and wrongdoing that may even merit his impeachment 
It's not happening. As some Democrats say, we're clear him after a 21-month investigation that he and other Republicans have called a witch hunt. Here's how the, the Mueller report is likely to play out. All right. After almost two years, Justice Department regulations call for a special counsel to provide a final report to the Attorney General who decides, who decides, not the Congress, the Attorney General, who decides what to tell Congress and make public. Barr has indicated he's likely to send his own summary of the findings to Congress rather than Mueller's actual report. And the vetting process is expected to keep some material secret from both Congress and the public, <clears throat> such as classified information and grand jury proceedings. The only exception under the regulations is if Congress, if is that Congress must be told if the special counsel was prohibited from taking any special action. Barr might take a day or a week to complete his report, even as pressure mounts for him to provide it as soon as pause, as soon as Mueller submits his findings, according to people familiar with the matter. Okay. So the left is already saying, if we don't get it all, we're going to sue. Somehow we're going to get the full report. Barr is not going to give them the full report, may even just summarize it all in a, in a report, in his own report. It goes on to say that President, that Attorney General Barr may exclude anything dealing with President Trump as in trying to do this collusion narrative with President Trump in it because he said during his testimony, and he said this before, and the Department of Justice has already ruled on this under two presidents, that right here, it says why Barr may keep Trump out. At Barr's confirmation hearing in January, he cited the Justice Department's policies that a president cannot, this is a existing policy, that the president cannot be indicted while in office and that the prosecutor should not comment on someone that has not been indicted. Former FBI Director James Comey's public comments on Democrat Hillary Clinton's use of private email server brought criticism at various points from both Democrats and Republicans, even it's, if it's arguable, it's set a precedent. It's, if you're not going to indict someone, then how, then you don't stand up there and unload negative information about the person, Barr told the Senate Judiciary Committee. It's unclear how many details Mueller will even put in his report, especially about Trump. Regulations require only that a special counsel produce a confidential report explaining the prosecution or declination or declining decisions reached by the special counsel. What will Democrats, what, what will they demand, though? Okay, so there's going to be a war because the Democrats, I'm going to show you in a second, they don't care about regulations. They don't care what is supposed to happen. They just simply give us the dirt on President Trump for 20 not to try to find a Russian collusion story because that didn't happen. Just give us it all and we will decide what's relevant and what the American people should see. <laughs> well, <clears throat> here we go. Let's finish this up. What are the Democrats probably going to demand? Democrats will demand to see Mueller's final report. 
if Barr declines to turn it over. Beyond that, they vow to seek access as well to the bulk of the special counsel's work. That's not what it's about. They're supposed to go out the report, including documents, interview notes, and other evidence. Senator Dianne Feinstein, the top Democrat on the Senate Judiciary Committee, said that the bar, that bar should provide Mueller's report unedited and that Congress also <clears throat> has a clear interest in obtaining supporting materials and all the facts and evidence surrounding the numerous investigations into President Trump, his associates, and his campaign. <clears throat> they do have some subpoena power. We will try to get everything we can, including by subpoenaing, subpoenaing the report. Subpoena and the uh, Mueller is also an option, as well as anyone else on his team. Democrat Jamie Raskin, a, a House Judiciary panel member, said it just seems exceedingly unlikely that they would be able to hide this report in a file cabinet somewhere. There's no hiding. It's the regulations. That's how things are supposed to go. Some Republicans who spent two years demanding and getting internal FBI and justice documents say uh, that they say showed bias against Trump and the Clintons agreed that everything should be disclosed. So I mean everything, Representative De De Devin Nunes of California, the ranking member of the House Intelligence Committee, said in an interview, witness interviews, wiretaps, everything. The White House has options, um, have indicated they may try to suppress information about Trump if Democrats seek to force Mueller's report to be made public in full, or they may welcome public release if they believe the president can use it to back up his frequent no-collusion tweets. Before the report is made public, Trump's lawyers say they will be they will command, uh, consider demanding the omissions of any information they believe falls under executive privilege, and they may release a rebuttal that they have been working on. They may also exert executive privilege on testimony or material damaging to the president, potentially opening another messy fight in the courts. Executive privilege is the doctrine that presidents and others in the executive branch must be able to have confidential conversations. So that's how this is going to go down. Mueller is finishing, but that doesn't mean much because Democrats have already said we want we want information from 60 people up on Capitol Hill and we're going to now open a Russia collusion investigation. And Mueller, we want everything. Now, David Nunez, who was able to see a lot of the things that were redacted, on the Republican side, now he's saying, good, go ahead and release it all. Now, he's obviously believes that there's nothing to hide in here. So there's going to be, it's going to go to court, it'll go to court at some level again, because everything seems to go through the courts now. So you have to judge shop and get the right judge because you want to make sure that you get the right decision. What do you think is going to happen? So put your comments down. Do you think do you think they're going to release all of it? Do you think Barr is going to release none of it and put out his own report? Do you think the Democrats will win in court? Do you think Nunes was right? They should just release it all because there's nothing to hide. I'll check your social media post after the show, and we'll see what you guys think. Well, boy, so much to cover and so little time to do it. Um, there's a U.S. panel launches probe into possible obstruction by Trump. No surprise there. Okay. <clears throat> 
the Democratic Party, as we all know, has gone wacky left, right? Now, I'm going to show you articles from the Greenpeace founder about AOC and she's gone crazy. And and we're going to discuss how socialism got to this point. But I think a lot of the problems, and you may disagree with this, but I'm a conservative independent, but I come from a Christian worldview. I think when people decide that they want to worship seals, the universe, stars, and planets, and themselves, and reject God, that they're opening themselves up to wrath or to being turned over by God to their own crazy ways. The Democratic Party in 2012 actually did a a voice vote to try to prevent God from getting put back into the Democratic platform because they had removed him. 2012. This will probably explain what happened since then. Here's a, here's the how it went down. <clears throat> one of the one of the uh, head people from the DNC said, "Hey, I want to put uh, an amendment up. Everybody's looking at it. Great." Uh, President Obama, um, you know, he wants God in the platform, and as a as a minister, I think he should be. And then Israel uh, needs to be acknowledged like President Obama wants. So it should just be it's a simple voice. The majority who yells the loudest gets their way. Well, watch how this goes down. I don't know if you know this, but I think the louder people did not want God in back into the Democratic Party. This is a non-debatable motion requiring a two-thirds vote. All of those in favor of suspending the rules, say aye. aye. All those opposed, say no. In the opinion of the chair, there's been a two-thirds affirmative vote to suspend the rules. Governor, would you like to make your motion? Uh, Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, This summer, I was proud to serve this party as the Platform Drafting Committee Chair. As the chair, I come before you today to discuss two important matters related to our party's national platform. As an ordained United Methodist minister, I am here to attest and affirm that our faith and belief in God is central to the American story and informs the values we've expressed in our party's platform. In addition, President Obama recognizes Jerusalem as the capital of Israel and our party's platform should as well. Mr. Chairman, I have submitted my amendment in writing and I believe it is being projected on the screen for the delegates to see. I move adoption of the amendment as submitted and shown to the delegates. A motion has been made. Is there a second? Is there any further discussion? Hearing none, the matter requires a two-thirds vote in the affirmative. All those delegates in favor say aye. All those delegates opposed say no. In the opinion of the... Let me do that again. All of those delegates in favor say aye. All those delegates opposed say no. No. I um I guess and then you gotta let them do what they're gonna do. I'll do that one more time. 
All those delegates in favor say aye. All those delegates opposed say no. In the opinion of the chair, two-thirds have voted in the affirmative. The motion is adopted, and the platform has been amended, as shown on the screen. Thank you very much. Thank you. Now, Governor Strickland, thank you again for your service. Governor Strickland, thank you again for your service as chair of the platform draft. Well, there you go. Um, uh, we should have God in our platform again. No! Uh, I didn't expect that. Okay. Who wants to put God back in the platform and recognize Jerusalem as the capital of Israel? I, who wants to put him back? Who wants to prevent it? No. Okay. What's happened since then is we have late-term abortion. We even have now the left wants abortion even after the baby's born. The left has wants gender confusion. The left wants to criticize anyone that's white, anyone that's a man. They want to criticize traditional values, anything that's traditional. That's, that's where they've headed. They want to focus on saving trees, plants, whales, as they take away free speech, gun rights, and Christianity, and try to phase out Christianity. There's some, a lot of articles here on where, what happened to the left. What happened, where did socialism creep in here? Like, well, this is an interesting article I found. Here's from Gre the Greenpeace co-founder about AOC. And it says here that Greenpeace co-founder rips pompous little twit Ocasio-Cortez's garden variety hypocrite on climate. So if you go through here, it's basically Greenpeace co-founder Patrick Moore um, has had an ongoing spat with Democratic Socialist Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez over the overly ambitious Green Deal that could quadruple the national debt. Moore has since split with Greenpeace, now refers to himself as a sensible environmentalist. He said, quote, AOC's Green Deal, this is a tweet, a uh, AOC's Green Deal calls for removing greenhouse gases from the atmosphere. Technically, that would mean removing all H2O vapor and all CO2, which means the eradication of all life on Earth. Brilliant. Hmm. Not too good. Well, here's an article from the Intelligencer. Never heard of this one, but it's a, in, actually, this is an article from the nymag.com. Socialism. Pinkos have more fun. Socialism is AOC's calling card, Trump's latest rhetorical bludgeon, and a new way to date in Brooklyn. <clears throat> what this is, this is an app. So you can cheat on your spouse, cheat on your other your mate, and you can be able to only do that with socialists. It's how you can make sure that you're only with the people who actually get it. The socialist. You can have fun. You can be immoral, and you can do it all on an app. Well, here's another article from in, in New York Post, nypost.com. Socialist millennials fans don't even know what it is. And this is where the biggest danger is. I've shown you videos on, on the left about... Uh, well, is, is, uh, what do you think of socialists? What do you know about socialists? What do you know about the new green deal? And every time it's like, 
it's a young person going, well, uh, you know, I think it's kind of good because Ocasio-Cortez is for it. Or I think it's good because, you know, um, it, it's fair and it's the right thing to do. Well, let me see if I have a video here before we finish up. Let's see. Uh, the student. Well, now I'm going to show you this from last week. This is a the Green Deal that he just referenced, and then we're going to finish up with socialism and, and be done. So here's a video again on that socialists love the Green Deal until they know what's in it. I'm Calvin Phillips with Campus Reform. Today we're at the University of Miami talking to students about Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's Green New Deal. It sounds nice, it's ambitious, but will students support it when they find out what's actually in it? Let's talk to them and find out. The number one trending thing on social media yesterday was her Green New Deal. It's a plan to combat climate change. It was already endorsed by multiple Democrat frontrunners for president in 2020. Yeah. Based on what you've heard of the plan, would you say you view it favorably or unfavorably? I view it favorably. I think that we need to cut our reliance on fossil fuels. It's definitely a great idea. I like that it's uh, progressive. I like that it is going to push the world forward in the way we need to be. I would say it's a favorable act. Just from like knowing like who's endorsed it and just like some like little things, it sounds great. I think it'd be great for us. I think if we didn't do that, then we're going to be killing ourselves basically. Got it. So we need to take care of ourselves. I think it's very important to, to support that. Anything that would reduce our dependence on fossil fuels is really important. Well, I definitely support this movement. Some of the things in the plan I want to get your opinion on. So the plan says within 10 years, we're going to completely outlaw coal, natural gas, and oil. So gasoline, anything like that in 10 years. Mm, I, don't, I don't agree with that. <laughs> to be honest with you, I think we need those things to live. But I do not think it is feasible in 10 years. I don't think that that would be something that would be able to be done in such a short amount of time. I think 10 years is a little extreme because I feel like there's such a big uh, global market and economic impact of oil businesses, albeit might not be good for the environment, but there's you can't deny there's a big economic impact of these companies. What's your thought on that? Sounds like a reach, honestly. <laughs> you think that's feasible? No. If you're unwilling to work, we will still supply help for your salary and help no. for a living wage. No, absolutely not. If you're not willing to contribute to society, I don't think that the people who are contributing should pay for you. So I, I disagree with that. I feel like it kind of sends the poor message of, you know, you can just get away with not doing anything and, you know, getting money. It's kind of stupid. I don't like that personally. Unwilling isn't the best way to go about things. Like, I don't want to go to college, but I have to get a job, so. Everyone needs to contribute. That's the only way society works. Um, I don't know about that one. I think that if you're unwilling, that I don't know if you should receive money for that. If you didn't want to go to class, if you were unwilling to go to class, should I still give you a good grade? No. <laughs> um, yeah, like people definitely need a job and need to work. Eliminating almost all air travel with high-speed rails. What's your thought on that? Uh, I feel like it's kind of the same one. It's like, I feel like 10 years is a little extreme for that. I don't think it should be eliminated altogether. Uh, I think it's definitely, it can be an option. I think we should, the more options we have, the better. Okay, so we're running out of time. So it just goes on. But basically, do you like the Green Deal? Yes. Why? Because Ocasio-Cortez. Okay, well, this is what's in it. Why well, don't that's ridiculous? Ten years, that's impossible. I don't believe in that. People should have to work. They shouldn't get paid to not work. And man, I ran out of time. So tomorrow I'll go over to Google. Google uh, wants to put uh, chips in your brain so they know what you're, what you're thinking. So, hey, hopefully this helps figure, uh, explain a little bit what's going on. 
socialism. I'll have to cover that again tomorrow. So, hey, thank you for watching. This has been The Informant. My name is Eric Thompson here on The Range, and I will see you tomorrow.